I've got some good news for everybody this week. You don't have to listen to me drone on for a half hour all alone. Our elusive co-host has reemerged. So, you want to talk about cars? Ferrari, GTO, Bentley, CRX, and even down to your great-granddad's peerless. Welcome to No Driving Gloves, the car talk authority. Knowledge and controversy share the same seat. Enjoy the ride. Now your hosts, John and Derek. Welcome to the show, Mr. Derek Moore. Hey, I uh, I lifted the rock I've been living under and decided to come back to the real world. Well, COVID, traveling... You know, all kinds of escapades. When you live the world driving a 1920s car, you, you, you kind of go at a slightly different pace than the rest of us, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those uh, you know trips to Michigan and Georgia take a lot longer going 35 mile an hour than those modern fancy cars we have that can go really fast. So, so you drive by those superchargers and you see that Tesla there and then it goes blowing by you and then you go see the next supercharger and that Tesla is there and it goes blowing by you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we get where we're going at the same time. It's great. <laughs> oh, it's not quite like a good old David's trip a few years ago when he raced his Model T against uh, that Tesla, but it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still find that trip he took so ironic that he would have won it Except he had a generator failure. So the reason he lost it was because of electricity. <laughs> yeah. But the, but the, and I think we've talked about it on the show, you know what? We need to just get Dave on the show one of these days just to talk about that. I wonder when the anniversary of that trip is. We should do an anniversary show and have him on. Uh, I can look that up. But uh, my problem with Dave is my podcast consultant that I use, he always talks about his dream interview. And he's he's huge on audio quality. He won't interview you unless you have a proper studio microphone. Everything has to be perfect. He doesn't worry about video, but your audio needs to be perfect. He won't do a phone interview with you. He won't do anything. But he said, if I ever could get an interview with Dolly Parton and she showed up with two tin cans and a string, I'd interview her. And ironically, he's going to interview Dolly Parton this coming week and... <laughs> And it doesn't sound like he's going to have to use two, two tin cans and a string. However, I think if we interviewed David, we might have to use two tin cans and a string. Yeah, it's, that's that's the only way he works. I, I, I actually have well, a red... He might do a telegraph. Yes, yeah. Well, I actually have a red tin can on my desk, and it's a direct line to Dave. So... Um, <laughs> But no, I think it would be interesting just to hear, you know, maybe on an anniversary about that story, and especially where we are with EVs in the world now. Uh, you know, I think we, when we've talked about it in the past on the show, theoretically, technically, whatever you want to call it, the Model T actually won the race if you go by time distance traveled versus just who showed up first. The Model T actually did the the distance it had to go in a quicker time than the Tesla actually did. And we could get into all that and have, we could probably have everybody that was involved on the show and, and have a great debate and discussion. Yeah. Elon might be tied up. The article originally came out in car and driver, January 31st, 2014. Shoot. That was my birthday. 
Dave raced his his 1914 Model T 15. or 1915 Model T versus a 2013 uh, Tesla Model S. So a car with an original base price for $400 versus a car with an original base price of $105,000. It's a really fascinating read. Maybe I'll tie that link into the show notes and we'll see if we can put Dave and some of that crew together. You've been away for a few weeks, Derek, and it wasn't all doom and gloom. Uh, is there any highlights that you want to touch on from your uh, trip to Old Car Festival? Any adventures along the way? Stop by and see Superman in Metropolis, Illinois, or anything like that? Well, no, it didn't go through Illinois, so I try to avoid that state at all costs. Illinois is not bad. The state of Chicago is horrible. <sighs> no, Old Car Festival was a, a, a good show yet again. Um, had a great time. Have to apologize to our listeners because, of course, the show we released uh, coming right on the heels of Old Car Festival, I uh, talked about hopefully getting some video posted and uh, possibly doing some live interviews or at least live uh, streams from there. And uh, that weekend just kind of I made it to the show, but the weekend kind of fell apart with some uh, COVID ripping through our family and splitting the family into two divisions of part of the family staying home, part of the family going to old car and uh, just not being able to balance the uh, life, family, work, fun balance to be able to get those videos out. So I, I do apologize to all our listeners that were hoping to see that. Um, we'll, we'll try again next year, but. Let you in on a little secret, Derek. We've been doing this show since 2000, June of 2017. I know. And you've promised that every year, and we have yet to have one video. So our listeners expected it. I always think I'm I'm going to get to do it. I'm going to get to do it. And then I get there, and I am just so busy that entire weekend. It's ridiculous. I'm pulled five different ways. I'm on the narrating stand um, for about half a day on Saturday, and it's just insanity. So, And, and I brought you hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars in equipment to, to help you with that venture. Yeah, let's not talk about it, John. <laughs> oh, wait, that's what we do on podcasts. But no, it was it was a good time. It was a lot of travel, a lot of running around. Was able to actually roll in part of my day job uh, into it as well. Uh, like I say, it was just a lot, a lot of running around, and then got back and obviously had a lot of work to do from being gone for a few days, and then rolled into having to take a trip down to Georgia this past week and talk at the Savoy Automobile Museum about uh, the history of Tatra, a Czechoslovakian-built automobile. One of their very important uh, employees, I guess you'd say, uh, executives, uh, Hans Ladvinka, who, if our listeners don't know who Hans Ladvinka is, many in the automotive history world do. But if you don't, highly encourage uh, looking into Hans Ladvinka. The automotive world would be uh, much further behind in development had Hans Ladvinka not been part of Tatra. So it's, it's been a whirlwind, John. Hey, what did you think of the Savoy? I'm curious. I want to stop by. I drive by it every time we go to the uh, cabin. Just haven't stopped. Did you think highly of it or? I've been to the Savoy a few times now, uh, giving talks and all that. I know, I know the team there very well. It is, it's a fantastic place. I mean, it is, it's top notch. You know, what, 
what the team there is doing and what they're the benefactor of not only the Savoy, but also the Booth Western Art Museum and uh, TELUS Science Museum and the History Museum. What what they're trying to do there in Cartersville, Georgia is amazing with the the museums they're establishing and and you know, really the the cultural history that they're trying to present is absolutely fantastic. And the Savoy is, as I say, it's it's top notch. They do. I'm I'm amazed as a, a curator that puts exhibits together, you know, tries to do you know in depth stories and narratives that really really shine a light on the artifacts. How often they rotate their exhibits out and and bring new exhibits in and new stories, uh, it's absolutely amazing. Their team there is is top notch and just does a great job. Actually, right now they have an exhibit called Forged by Fuller. And it's uh, a number of Brian Fuller's uh, creations on exhibit. And, and it talks a little bit about Brian and his history and yeah, why he does what he does. There's always a little bit of something for everybody because from the, the Forged by Fuller exhibit that's there, you walk out and the next kind of central gallery, the big main gallery that runs down the middle of the, the building is right now it's all about trucks. And so there's really great historic trucks in there, everything from an international high wheeler, uh, 19, I think it was nine or 10, you know, all the way up to modern truck. Uh, they have a, an exhibit on what they call factory drag cars. So mostly obviously from the muscle car era. And then of course the best exhibit that's there right now is Tatra evolution. And it's five of the most beautiful Tatras you will ever see on loan from the Lane Motor Museum. I can say I drive by it. The building itself is stunning and it's kind of in pasture or opening. I mean, there are not a lot of development around it. So it just, it just grabs you as you're pulling up to it. I was going to say, I knew Fuller had his exhibit there right now. Uh, we interviewed Brian Fuller back on episode 134, doubling down with Brian Fuller. That episode's actually on YouTube also thought about reaching back out to Brian to talk to him about that exhibit. The other cool, I guess, tie-in to Fuller that I just saw the press release about, back on uh, episode 228, we had Courtney Hansen on uh, talking about uh, the ride of your life, the Royal Garage. Our former co-host, Will Posey, uh, hoping to get on the show in the next couple of weeks, talk about some of his uh, side work. He was the designer and that on season two of Royal Garage. And Fuller is now the designer and builder for season three of Royal Garage. But no, uh, Fuller's a great guy. That that place is always changing that core exhibit. And they've had some pretty radical ones. And they're very tied to the local community, too, as you were, uh, I guess, alluding to. Because prior to Fuller, I believe that exhibit was all local collector collectible vehicles. Yes. Yeah, they did one that was on. Yep. And one of these times when I'm driving out or we're driving out to the uh, mountains of North Carolina to spend the weekend or so at the cabin, we'll uh, swing by the Savoy and check that out. Yeah. We have kind of been pulled in a few different directions here, Derek. And it's kind of what our topic was going to be be about is discussing a little bit of the auto, auto manufacturers. And there's been some interesting news happenings with recalls and problems and 
we're not going to dive deep into the problems in these recalls. We're going to touch on them. But are automobile manufacturers being pulled in too many different directions? Jim Farley of Ford has basically said he runs three different companies. He runs a car company with internal combustion engines. He runs a development company for electric vehicles, introducing a totally new market. And he runs a software company with all of the software subscription tools that Ford has available to pro customers that might eventually trickle down to even um, everyday consumers just because of the way the vehicles can be managed and stuff through subscriptions. And when I say subscriptions, we're not talking heated seats. We're not talking about pay for your keyless entry to work. He actually understands automobile subscriptions. Now, I've went on record and I'll still stay on record. I don't mind the idea of paying for my heated seats and things. I kind of like the concept. But Jim Farley's thoughts on subscriptions are perfect and nobody will disagree with him because of what he's offering and everything you buy on your vehicle, you won't. You don't have to pay to use it. Derek, you were alluding to some issues maybe or how would you would you like to open that that conversation a little bit since i already opened it with the ford <laughs> having some conversations on these travels i've been doing over the last couple of weeks and there seemed to be a consistent theme within some of those conversations about when when we were talking about new cars modern cars and what's going on in the industry of course the you know the push over to ev is you know a big topic right now in in news and uh, the people that want to complain about it and then there's the people that want to be excited about it and and where you fall in that but one of the other conversations that came up and in all of this and had a, a central theme, as I say, was a number of the issues that we're starting to see in the new cars that are coming to market, whether it's ICE cars, internal combustion vehicles, or EVs, or hybrids, you know, any of these that are coming to market. There's a number of people that I talk to that feel like, well, why are we having so many issues? Why are we having uh, you know the the new Corvettes, uh, the the Z06, starting to see that there's some uh, valve train issues in that vehicle, and there's you know they're trying to figure out some of that and what they can do. Uh, you know there's there's some big recalls over the last few years, and the discussion kind of came to number one what John said. You know the the industry being pulled in so many directions, but. It kind of came down to the wonder of our car companies just pushing to get new vehicles to market too quickly and not being able to fully develop them with how much is going on. And, you know, is that is that the customer base that wants that? Is it the customer base that they're afraid is going to say, well, gee, you're not bringing out new vehicles and we're disappointed? Or is it just the companies wanting to get a leg up on somebody else and get a new product out. But is all of this that's going on actually harming the industry and in some ways putting a black eye on some of these companies? Because especially with like the Corvette Z06, you know, the new C8 platform, the Stingray when it came out uh, and then the Z06 and the E-Ray and then everything that's coming next 
you know, you, you, you hear all the great things like, oh, this is, this is such a great car. This is this. But then all of a sudden you get one that comes out and, you know, the Z06, uh, a new engine, pl- you know, kind of a revamped engine platform. And all of a sudden we start having some issues. Well, now it's like, well, what's GM doing? Why, why can't they figure this out? So I guess it just came down to do the companies, car companies just need to not bend to the pressure that we're seeing from whether it be the consumer or I dare say the federal government and just need to take a little more time in their product development. And I I throw that federal government comment in there because I think to discuss this and, and really think about it, it doesn't hurt to look back over time and see where the federal government has stepped into the auto industry and juxtapose previous issues in the auto industry with product and whether or not federal intervention came in at the same time. Now, I was actually looking up some of the current recalls, as you said, damaging manufacturers and that. And it's beginning to kind of trickle back into the news and it, it's, it had went away for a while. And then all of a sudden, I'm seeing more and more, and I'm seeing more and more and more consumer places, not just diving in. And that's the uh, Takata um, airbag recall. I thought we had solved this problem, to be 100% honest. I hadn't heard anything since, Jesus, I can't even remember when this recall started. Years ago. Yeah, I mean, it might have been pre-COVID, but at this point, they've replaced airbags in 67 million vehicles over 19 automotive manufacturers. And some of the stuff I've seen lately is actually some of the graphic pictures of what is in these airbags. I mean, we probably really need to investigate this because there's chunks of metal parts that are in these airbags. It's not like it's accidental. I'm a conspiracy theorist at heart in that, but how do you get little shard i mean not they're not even shards of metal they're broken metal pieces that are shoved into these airbags and all folded into it so when they get explode they come at you like bullets we have that airbag recall you know rams had 1.2 million vehicles recalled because of uh the tailgates just coming open and that's on 1500 2500 3500 pickups uh, it seems like something simple we've been building damn tailgates on pickup trucks since um, what am I thinking? The early 1900s. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely the early 1900s. And granted, we've made tailgates the most complex thing on a pickup truck anymore, you know, with the internal tailgate on the tailgate or Ram has its um, Dutch door tailgate and Ford in the on the new re- uh, refreshed F-150 has some sort of tailgate within a tailgate so that you don't have to lower the tailgate to put things into the back of the truck. And we've made tailgates too damn complicated. I'm sorry, but still 1.2 million vehicles. And like Derek said, are we just trying, are, did Ram rush to come out with a, a tailgate to compete against General Motors tailgate that, like I said, they have a tailgate and then they have a smaller tailgate inside that tailgate. It's like a $4,000 option. And of course, I love my F-150 from 2012 that had an integrated step into it. Still a regular tailgate. Latching was all the same. But, you know, again, Ram's rushing this out. Then Ford, of course, had to get a more competitive tailgate. So there, 
did they rush theirs? Well, recalls will come to find out. Subaru has a quarter million vehicles recalled because of a fire risk and warning you to, just like if your EV, park it outside because it could spontaneously combust. Is that not researching the routing of exhaust or the routing of fuel lines or the adhesives that are used to an extent that maybe happened in the past? I mean, you come up with a new adhesive and, oh, this glute bonds this substrate with this substrate and it works wonderfully and it, you know, you do your testing, but you find out after repeated exposures to heat, the thing won't spontaneously combust or just even a chemical reaction if something drips on it. I, you know, I don't know what's causing the Subaru fires. Uh, your EVs are, I've, it's not necessarily a recall, but I've got another window pulled open on spontaneous EV fires. Part of me thinks that it is just rushing. It's, it's the industry rushing to get product out that's going to be, you know, oh, we, you know, we bested, you know, GM saying, oh, we bested Ford. We got a better product out before, uh, before they did. Of course, then you have to wonder, is it really a better product? Because, well, now we're seeing these failures. And, you know, as I said in my long diatribe at the beginning of this, is, is part of it, you know, kind of the federal intervention over time because, you know, right now there's a lot of federal push to, you know, federal government push to get EVs being the only direction forward in the industry. So as Jim Farley said, everybody's being pulled in multiple directions. So are we not able to, number one, have enough engineering staffing dedicated to producing the new internal combustion engines, figuring those out, uh, figuring out the hybrid technologies that we could be going to. And, you know, is that playing into this because the companies just can't be focused enough on one thing? I personally think it does impact it because once you yourself are pulled in multiple directions, you know that you don't do quality work. Human beings, although everyone talks about how they can multitask, human beings are not meant to be multitasking animals on this earth, right? We do not do our best work when we multitask. If we can focus on one thing, we can do a quality job. Rushing product, not having the dedicated uh, time to look at it and figure it out and and run testing of it, right? You know, actually run the testing of this for multiple years and and look at what's going on and making sure everything's going to work. And, you know, maybe we flip that on its, its head and also wonder if, is it just part of the culture we've created where we need instant gratification? Well, hey, we came up with a new product. Here you go, have it. Rather than, hey, we're coming up with a new product. We're going to make sure it's quality, and then we're going to get it out to you guys. I mean, I just heard a report on this new iPhone that's coming out. It's at the iPhone 15 now. Within two minutes of being turned on, they're overheating to almost 120 degrees. That's right around the temperature where you start getting first degree burns on your skin. And, and, you know, we talk about the auto industry, but maybe we need to look at every industry. And is this an, a, a common problem now that everybody's just rushing product to market to make more money? You know, I also think it's interesting as a historian to look back and, and think about the, 
yeah, when the the federal government has stepped into the auto industry before, such as during everything that came out of the the OPEC crisis in the 1970s and cafe standards and environmental protections and everything that got looked at during the 1970s really a lot of the issues and cars have had issues since they were created okay well i'm not going to deny that uh, mechanical devices have issues they have moving parts bearings can wear things can go wrong because you're trying to make a bunch of metal move around and do things but when you start trying to put new twists on that uh, on an engine right so oh well we need you know catalytic converters and we need smog uh, equipment and this and this and this yes it is going to be better for the environment yes it is going to be better for people and this earth in general if we can figure it out and make it work right but when entities force that to be done within a certain time frame. And yeah, we hear California talk about, oh, by, I don't even know where they are because they keep moving the target date. I think the last one I heard was 2035. Yeah, we're, we're only going to allow electric vehicles in this country or in the, in the state of California. Well, you're putting a time limit on the development of that product. Now, granted, 2035 is 12 years away and that's a, a nice window, but we're just figuring some of this out. I mean, electric cars have been around a long time. We talk about that a lot on the show, but not in the manner we're trying to do it today. And this is new technology, and we need to have the time to develop it and make it right before we put it out to the public. Now, if you're saying you're going to do you know, public testing of a vehicle, we can look back at like the Chrysler turbines, where they actually built, you know, a handful of these Chrysler turbines and actually had a program where they put them out to the general public, let them drive around, got feedback, figured out what the issues were, what people didn't like about it, what they did like about it. And it's it's part of product testing. That's one thing. But to rush something to market, have people pay for it. And we're not talking a couple thousand dollars. I mean, new vehicles are, I mean, trucks, John, like you were talking about. I mean, there's new trucks out there that are eighty to a hundred thousand dollars. You're going to put that out to the American public or the the general public at large around the world. Have them spend that much money, and then there's going to be a failure. It's as I say, going back to it, it's just it to me, it's a black eye on your company, and it's it's it just makes things difficult in this world because now you've got people that spent eighty a hundred thousand dollars on a vehicle that they need to go to and from work and, and live their life that they can't use. I think quality is important. I don't know if any of that made sense, but it's just where my mindset is right now. Well, some of it made sense, and, but that's kind of how I talk too. Some of what I say makes sense. They're being pulled in so many directions. And there's only so many qualified people in this country to do this work. And there's only so many dollars with each of these manufacturers to be able to pay to have this work done. And if you go back to our episode a few ago where we kind of talk about um, the government fund for alternative transportation uh, methods, the manufacturers are being put under a gun to say, you have to have this technology working and it has to operate within this time period. There's no gentle, you know, well, we didn't quite get it right. We didn't quite get it right. Or we need this tweet before we should send it to public. No, no. 
it's it has to be done. But you have to continue still selling things to pay for this new technology that you're being mandated into. Uh, you know, basically saying everybody's being forced to develop an electric car, whether they want to or not, they're being forced to. But you got to pay for it somehow. And then you have this new R&D department uh, available to the manufacturers that was pioneered by Tesla. And that's called the consumer. I guess I might not say it was pioneered by Tesla. I've always said Lotus used to use this uh, consumer research and development method. They'd come up with a car, release it to the public, things would break, and Lotus would figure out how to fix it and repair it. But Tesla's done it in this major fashion. Uh, Autopilot's the big one that screams out at you. Mm -hmm. It's being used by people. It's not fully developed. It's potentially killing people. But people are dying while using autopilot. Is it the car's issue? Is it the driver's issue? Is it the driver's irresponsibility? Is it Tesla's irresponsibility? It really doesn't matter. The consumer's being asked to test this thing. We all know that the consumer is not the most intelligent person in the world, is not going to read the instructions on how to properly do this, and is going to try to make the thing work the way the consumer wants it to work. All that has to happen during research and development. You know, we have to go, oh, we've got this thing that'll drive the car itself. And we want them to hold on to the steering wheel. Well, customers aren't going to want to hold on to the steering wheel. So, okay, they're going to develop this. Well, how do we get around this? Do we need a camera to watch them to make sure that, you know, their extremities are coming from their body? And then are they going to make a fake arm to attack? You know, you have to research and develop all this stuff out because there's so many ways around it. But, you know, Tesla at least only gets to focus on Tesla and a uh, an EV, where Ford and General Motors and Mercedes and Audi and VW and everybody else gets to focus on, well, we got to sell an internal combustion engine car so that we have a budget to develop this EV car. And we have such a, I think there are distractions. And I think the teams are distracted. Uh, it was great to see Farley go out and take a Ford Lightning and drive it a few thousand miles over a week or two to figure out what the inherent problems are with electric vehicles right now. And I think he identified the big one. Nobody has range anxiety anymore. We have charging anxiety. We're all familiar on how to go to a gas pump and how that works. And But with charging, you not everybody's been to a charger before. It's that first first time thing and none of us like change and then you get is the charger going to work uh is this going to be broken is there going to be a line it, you know all these other factors that come with charging it's not even necessarily the time because an experienced ev driver will know that the car is going to say you know in order to get to your destination you need to stop here and charge to 62 percent. you don't have to charge to 100 percent every time and then you know, you get so far down, and then you, now you only need to charge to 51%, and that'll complete your journey, and it gives you the spacing for rest stops or snacks or whatever might come into play. It's just, like Derek said, humans aren't meant to multitask, and corporations are not designed to multitask. So they're there to focus on one problem and one issue, and unfortunately for publicly held companies that problem or issue is how do we generate the most profit and then again that affects your payroll your where you're going to dis 
distribute resources? Are you going to do the stock buybacks to increase that bottom line for the shareholders? Are you going to take heap some of that money? Are you going to reinvest it into the company to further your EV development or to help improve the charging network or just to hire more qualified engineers? And then are you creating a climate that people are afraid to say what the real world is and fear for being fired. And unfortunately, I think that's a lot of the issues with a lot of companies in that people see the employees in the trenches know what's going wrong on and know what's going wrong, but they can't complain about it because they'll get told and then they'll get fired because their boss should be right. Well, to be honest, bosses aren't right a lot of times and that, you know, that gets discussed and don't want to, we're not a business podcast to discuss that. Where are we in this journey? Are we asking our automobile manufacturers to do too much at a risk to the general public out there with the, you can say, autopilot or even the fancy tailgates or because we need to get six horsepower more than another vehicle? Are we pushing the limits of an engine? I've said before, I had a, He's passed since, but I had a friend who had a really good relationship with General Motors, and he would get very early releases. He got one of the early, earliest CTSVs, and then later on in the year, he bought another one, and he did the same thing with his Corvette Z06, and this might have been back at the C6 era. I'm sure it was the C6 era or the ZR1 of that era, and he got an early car, and it had... These all had great horsepower numbers that matched the magazines. But every time he either got the next model year or he got a late, you know, later model year car, or even he took one of his vehicles in for its regular service and he put them back onto his, his chassis dynos, they would be down on horsepower because we we go for the press numbers and then I think they actually detune the cars some from the first 500 that go out because the, the press always gets those. Just to for, to help preserve, the, you know, what they built because what they built is our push to the limit to make the magazines happy and the car reviewers happy. Then they have to worry about the consumer. And like I said, is if you can bring the car in, do a software update, detune it. You haven't engineered the car properly if you've got to detune the consumer cars just to get a fancy number for the automobile reviewers. I heard... And it had to be on a podcast and they had to be theorizing that Ford is kind of relieved that when Dodge uh, discontinued the um, the Ram TRX, Ford was relieved that Ram didn't bump the horsepower because the TRX was like 702 horsepower and the Raptor R is 705 horsepower. So they have that horsepower claim. And they were afraid that if the TRX came out with a horsepower bump to 725 or something like that, then all of a sudden we're going to have to make the Raptor R a little bit more, give it a little bit more. And all we're doing is creating a more fragile vehicle subject to recall or failure, like potentially the Z06 has. And I believe even in the C7 Corvette, there were some issues with the motors on the Z06 uh, when it first came out with oil starvation, or maybe that was the early C8s. I can't remember. And then, you know, like I said, they're going to put out that Raptor at 735 horsepower. 
and in my theory, first time you bring it in forward for an oil change, they're going to detune the thing back down to 705 or 695 just to make sure it doesn't blow up on you. And you're never going to know unless you have a dyno at your home. And last time I checked, uh, most of us don't. I do know a couple of people that own their own dyno or yeah. have open access to them. That's the other thing too, John. It's like, you know, everybody's saying, oh, you know, the industry, you know, oh, high horsepower, people want this, you know, ability, especially, you know, your car people out there that, you know, own, want to own the TRX or the Raptor R or, or the new Z06 or, you know, E-Ray or, but it's like you say, John, it, it comes out at 725 horse or whatever it is. Number one, very few people are going to be able to tell the difference between 700 and 725 horsepower, very, very difficult, unless you have the equipment to actually test it, to understand, you know, how much that horsepower is is changing anything. Even more than that, just the capability that the companies have to do over the air changes to your car. Uh, you know, you say, oh, you take it in for your first oil change and they're going to detune it. Anymore, a lot of these cars, they can do that over the air with an update. And, you know, and you would never know because it just, oh, your, your car needs a, one of the new updates. Okay. Boom. It's going to be parked for an hour. It can do it. And they don't tell you that part of that is, is detuning. Are they doing that? I don't know. I'm not saying that is what they're doing, but is it a possibility? 100%. I mean, those over the air, uh, you know, updates can do anything to that computer system that the company wants to do. Uh, but interestingly, one of the things you said sparked and and i think everybody knows here i love the obscure historic reference historical references to things but yeah when you have these problems it's what the press grabs onto because it's it's interesting it catches the public's attention and it's i hate to say it but it seems like our our press our media has moved to man negative news is what people want to hear there's a car we have at the at lane motor museum that is a a perfect example of this it's one of the very first safety cars ever built so back in the 1950s there was a big push for the car has to be safer right so we need new equipment in it to make it safer and uh uh Catholic priest named Father Alfred Giuliano, uh, who had wanted to be an automotive designer, came up with his own design for a safety car. He called it Aurora, and it took him a number of years to build it. It was introducing side impact protection. It was introducing padded dashes. It was introducing all this new safety stuff we needed. But he rushed it to try to get it done to unveil it at the New Yorker Hotel at a certain day and time. And in his rush, he forgot to make sure to protect the carburetor and engine while he was, um, you know, sanding the car and painting it, doing everything that needed to be done to make it look good. And dust from that process got into the carburetor and into the engine. And on the way from Connecticut, he, and he insisted that he drive it from Connecticut to New York for the unveiling. And on the way, it broke down multiple times because of the, the dirt in the fuel system and, and dust and everything. And he finally got it to the New Yorker Hotel multiple hours after he was supposed to be there. And what did the press write about? They did not write about all of the safety innovations in the car. 
They wrote about how dangerous the car was to the general public every time it broke down on the highway on its way from Connecticut to New York, and it put other drivers at risk because it had broken down in the roadway. And I think that's, you know, that, that it, it, it shows that back then that it, it put a black eye on something that could have been extremely important in our auto industry. And every time we rush something to market and an engine fails in multiple vehicles and this, that is where, that's what we remember as, as a people. We remember, we tend to remember the negative, the bad. We don't always remember the, oh man, that was such a great innovation. That was so great. And so you know, it's, it's just kind of disappointing and it would be nice that number one, we didn't have those failures because we didn't rush product to market, but it would also be nice if there was a failure, it didn't become the big news. Totally agree that the news has went negative. Something bad happens. They're going to grab onto it. And when I'm going through, we try, we're trying, we're trying real hard not to make no driving gloves negative every week, but it, go through the headlines. It's tough to dig out positive things and great things that are happening in the automotive industry. And I'm going to wrap this show up here by something that literally just popped up on my video screen in front of me as we're recording. And it's basically Ford's upset with the EU and especially Britain, because we're talking about being pulled in all these different directions and being required by law to do things and do that. And the prime minister of Great Britain announced that they're going to lax some of their clean air initiatives. And one of those will be to potentially roll back the mandated ban on a, a gasoline and diesel vehicles or gasoline and diesel vehicle sales in the UK from 2030 to 2035. And Ford's upset. And a lot of other manufacturers are upset Ford just happened to make the headline in this article because they've already invested half a billion dollars in this transition. They're working to hit this target date and focusing a lot of their investment. And now all of a sudden they have a little bit more relaxed time frame, which means they wouldn't have had to put as much money in and could have possibly developed a little bit slower. They don't know what to do now. Do we... Do they go ahead and try to still beat the 2030 deadline and then possibly be the only manufacturer selling electric vehicles in Great Britain in 2031? Or do they have do they revamp their whole business plan? We're sitting here in 2023, late 2023. So we'll say 2024. It takes four or five years to design a vehicle. And now all of a sudden, something that you passed three or four years ago that everybody's spending money on the targets changed and that changes the whole marketplace and the society of automotive engineers has has already come out in response to this and say hey wait we need when these target dates are set we need them to stay and not move because to be honest everybody's gambling that these are going to move and going to move but when you get into these 6 or 7 year windows 8 year windows and then all of a sudden you change the goal date that's six years out to something that's five years out. Everything you have is all your plans are obsolete. Your whole business plan's got to change. We've got to quit doing this to the manufacturers. It goes back again to our episode kind of where we jokingly said we need to explore other avenues for alternative fuels. We need to explore. We need to let this 
transition happen organically. People are afraid and the legislators are afraid that we're too ingrained and we're not, unless we're told we have to change, we're not going to change. I might not change. Derek might not change. You might not change as a, a listener our age, but the 20 somethings out there are listening. They're considering, they're embracing these new technologies. It's going to change. It's going to be organic. It's just not going to happen in eight years or 13 years. It might take 25 years. Those 20 somethings have to become our age to be able for this to take effect. But when you force it, you're putting people's lives at risk. You're wasting billions of dollars. You're creating inferior technologies. That's my opinion on it. Derek, would you like to have the final wrap-up statement? And then we'll let everybody go and be free. I think you summed it up well, John. It's exactly, exactly what kind of the conversations I've been involved in lately have been is we're being forced to do things. It's creating inferior products, as you say, John, products that have issues, products that are putting the general public's health and safety at risk. It's it's one of my beliefs as, you know, someone who has been, you know, I I hate the term boss within within any company or within any uh, you know, organization that I've been involved with, but you know, I've had teams of people underneath me that I lead. And to me, if you want a successful organization, if you want a successful development of a product of of, of successful development of anything, it's about teamwork, it's about understanding how your team can develop that product or that, you know, whatever you're working on and how they can do it successfully. How much time do they need? How much, you know, what do they need to make it happen? Money, more help, time, products, you know, what, what does it take to get to our end goal? And it has to be a conversation with the whole team. It can't be one entity coming in and saying, you have until this day to make this happen and it has to be done. Can you get it done? You can. Is it going to be the best thing that that's going to come out of the team? Not at all. Let the team do what they need to do to organically make it what it needs to be and it will be the best that it is ever going to be. Yes, I agree with you, John. We're rushing. We're being forced to do things in the industry and it's causing inferior work to be done inferior products. If we let this develop organically, we can find the best solution and we will have fantastic products. Simply put, think of you at your job that you want to do the best job you possibly can, but then your supervisor starts putting deadlines and restrictions on you and you know then you have to do some shortcuts. Exactly the same thing that's happening in the automotive industry. With that, I'm going to say get off your ass and go burn some gas. Talk to you later. This show was a part of the No Driving Gloves Network, produced and edited by John Viviani of Magic City Podcast, with voice work by Gary Conger. So until the next exit. <laughs>